Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel, your host on Society Bites Radio. We are so pleased today to have Alexa Garza with us to continue our series of podcasts about the perspective of prison in the state of Texas from two women who have been there. We met Jennifer Toon recently, and she spoke to us for two podcasts, and today is Alexa's turn. Um, Alexa did her time at Mountain View Prison in Gatesville, Texas, and that's how she met our other guest, Jennifer. She's been out about three and a half years, and we want to welcome her to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. You're very welcome. So you had quite a unique job at Mountain View. Um, Can you tell us the nature of that job? And just so our listeners know, you worked with no salary whatsoever. So what kind of job did you have at Mountain View? I was a certified Braille transcriber. I transcribed books for the visually impaired and we produced um, textbooks for several Braille agencies across the United States. We are, we were, we, I guess they still are the largest um, prison industry of Braille in the United States is Mountain View in Gatesville, Texas. Yes, ma'am. That's that's impressive. Now I did a little homework um, because I did not, even realized before talking to you that um, this kind of braille program even exists in prison. And I found that as of 2016, there are 38 programs in 28 states. Did did you know that there were that many? You did. (laughs) Well, you're the expert, right? (laughs) I I have a, go ahead, I'm sorry. But Mountain View is the largest. Largest, all female. All female. Um, and I also learned that um, just recently we had my adopted daughter on uh, a few weeks ago and she did her time in Connecticut and she uh, in her prison, they just just started the same program. She she's out now. So, you know, very interesting when you don't hear about these things, you, you, you know, you're just not aware. For those of, of our listeners who possibly don't know what Braille is, what what is that and where did it come from? Do you know? Um, it originated back um, Lewis Braille in like the 1800s. Um, it was a form of night writing um, from the army mm-hmm. and they edited and tweaked it to create a system of reading dots with six cells and it's... Um, you can do it with the basic computer and you use a basic keyboard, but the, the program that you're using is a proprietary program. So basically you're using six keys on the keyboard, not oh. the entire keyboard like you would like to type an English letter. It's a form, um, if you were to see me Braille, you would, it's very similar to stenography. I'm oh. only using, you know, three, uh, six fingers and just, you know, Braille in a way. So it's a, a character um, shorthand and there's like uh, different levels. Grade one is contracted, so uh, uncontracted. So like T H E, you're spelling out the word every letter. It's for kindergartners up until like third grade, and then you go on to contracted Braille, which um, a series of 
characters indicate like shorthand for like letters so it's easier for the readers to read because you have to understand if you were to have a book in your hand that's 300 print pages the equivalent to that is about 1800 braille pages <gasps> oh so there has to be as you say stenography a shortened way to say something right correct and we try um it has to stay true to the print itself but um it there is contractions what they call contractions and that's how we are able to fit more on the page mm -hmm. to um, the obligations so for example um a book like harry potter which you could hold in your hand would be 18 braille volumes easily Ooh. and you would have to break the volumes and you're looking at an 11 and a half by 11 sheet of paper uh, maybe 180 pages 90 pages front and back 180 pages total so you can imagine it's not something that you can carry around with you it's not something that you just stick in your backpack like you know we just take for granted that we can do that with our books so so now if um a person is visually impaired or blind um how do they get access to the books that you type so um federal law from the ada requires that every student low low visibility or visually impaired is required by law to have the same amount of educational material as everyone else so if you enroll your son or daughter in a school and classes start september 1st that school is supposed to have that material ready september 1st and we have gotten calls from the governor of texas at one point the office saying hey this book is needed by tomorrow and you know it's all hands on deck to get these books out but what the teachers do or what the educator uh, educational agencies know in advance is that this student was in school he's going to graduate to the fifth grade or sixth grade and he's going to need xyz and they prepare for it a couple months in advance to give us time but there has been instances where Teachers need pop quizzes or PowerPoint presentations, and you just have to a very, very quick turnaround for that because, you know, no one likes. I mean, I don't like to be read to. I can read. Why would you read to me? So the audio book, it is a good um, it's available, but I personally like to hold a book in my hand and a lot of um, visually impaired or low, you know, they're the same way they're, they're they want their materials just like everyone yeah right. so very very interesting i have a, a niece who's my age uh who's been blind since she was I, I guess a toddler and and she does both um i love to watch her braille um uh, but she listens to books on disc uh it's it's a lot and she she um speeds up the book so it sounds like a chipmunk <laughs> when when i listen yeah she doesn't like to read it at regular regular speed so what a great service um this was for for you how how did you learn about the program uh, at mountain view prison and then how much training was required for your job i learned about the program um Women's programming in Texas is very, very limited. So, you know, when I entered the system at a very young age, I was 19, I wanted to continue my education. So I enrolled in college and I wanted to learn anything that I could possibly could. And I heard about the Braille program, which was, I was blessed to have it at Mount View. So it was a process to get um, 
to be allowed assigned that job position because it is a job assignment like it like you would be assigned to the kitchen or the assigned to the laundry it's still a job assignment you have to meet criteria they want you to have a little bit of time because it does take two to four years to start to learn it um so you have to have a GED, uh, some time and, you know, like your record has to be very clean. They don't, this is a very good job. It's a skill set that we can take when we were paroled. So, you know, no bad behaviors, you know, kind of like the cream of the crop, you know, model inmates and offenders. And so that's where we're at. And, um, basically learning Braille, it's inside the prisons for a reason. And I always jokingly say it's a captive audience, but it's true. We have the time it takes to dedicate to learn it. It's a specialized skill set that anyone can do it. However, you know, with the hustle and bustle and the rat race of everyday life and the distractions that we have that that are available, it's just very easy to lose that train of thought. It's a self-paced course through the Library of Congress, free of charge in Washington, and you they mail, you know, it's through mail or correspondence or now through email. And what the instructors did is the instructors themselves got certified at Mountain View and they themselves would grade our lessons. So we didn't have that turnaround of mailing a lesson in, waiting for the mail to come in. So it shortened the time frame and they started building a curriculum as more system impacted people were getting certified to teach those that were coming in. So the program, I believe, started with like 18 and it grew to 100. So mm. 100 under one roof and it's broken down into like production, 40 production strong. And then you have 40 tactile, which is like the tactile graphics, the drawings that you would see in a math book, the Cartesian graphs, the mm. maps and history books. Those are like another element of Braille because it's just not text. You're not just doing right like uh, novels, you're doing textbooks for students and, you know, they have the graphs and the equations and the triangles and all sorts. And you're, you're talking upper level calculus and chemistries and chemical bonds. So it all goes hand in hand. And Mountain View did a really well, a good job of teaching us a well-rounded skill set to be more than a certified transcriber, but also a really good tactile graphic designer as well. I, what I don't understand is how in the world, I can understand Braille, but how do you produce, reproduce, I should say, um, something like a map or a, a certain kind of triangle? How do you do that? It's very difficult. Before, um, it would. it's called collage, and what you would get, picture getting um, some yarn or string, and you would add glue to make it tougher and, and mm -hmm. stronger. So it wouldn't, it would be able to su sustain its kind of like a shape. And with a mm -hmm. glue and a paper clip or a toothpick, you would position the string oh. in the shape of Texas or the United States map of some sort. I that see. would give it the raised boundary around the map. We would use things as such as uh, crumbled up tissue paper, velvet, sandpaper, <laughs> um, the bottom of the your sock, you know how it has those little rubber kind of like cushy. I don't yeah. even know what they're called, but um, grippers. Just anything that rub, yeah, grippers. You yeah. could use anything that could give you a distinct 
texture difference. And if you're doing a graph rule state that you can only have five different textures on there, because any more than five, you're going to, you know, convoluted and confuse the reader. So if you have a map, for example, that shows elevation, which are, I don't like elevation maps, but mm -hmm. when it shows elevation, you would have to basically cut that map in, in two. So one map would show five sections of it and the other map would show the other to get your point across. But it nowadays it's all done digitally. So you have a learning curve of drawing it with proprietary software such as Corel Draw or Adobe. And the oh, output is um, an embossed copy. An embosser is a big machine that has pin grade array that strikes the page at a particular depth according to your gray scale or the color that you use. And it raises or lowers the impact of the paper in a way that the reader can feel it it's pretty pretty i mean Amazing. not yeah it's not your average bear can read it you know like visually impaired they're not in any way diminutive in their intelligence they are superior in that you know their senses are very acute and if you have an right. error they will be quick to tell you about your yeah. errors Yes, absolutely amazing. It's it's a window into um, a job and and a skill that I never really gave much thought to. So so how how much um, after your your training was done? How much time did you um, spend working as a? Do you call it a brailleist? What what do you call? Yes, you a brailleist or a braille transcriber. Yes, ma'am. Braille transcriber. <laughs> so how 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 much time after you learned the skill did you spend doing braille writing? I was assigned to the braille facility for approximately 15 years. Oh my goodness. And the most the majority of the ladies um, you know assigned there have longer sentences because it you know the turnaround, we wouldn't want to prepare you and to train you and then for you just to leave. So they had, you know, a motive for that. And then, um, of course, that's not the end all be all, but I personally was there and I've moved from different jobs. I was blessed to be able to um, learn the new technologies in tactile creation and um, created workshops for conferences that were recorded inside the prison and showcased at in the conferences in California it's mm. called you know beyond the bars or and so forth so I was truly you know a creating and developing curriculum for short course and apprenticeship classes for the ladies that are coming in because you always have you know you have to bring in new people because you know people do leave so right. it's always it's always going to be a learning environment rules are updated um I was certified in a language called ebay which is english american braille and in like 2005 the braille authority changed the code to unified english braille so we had to relearn all the code again so basically those of us that had been doing it this way for 10 years had to recertify in a new code and learn different rules and different ways of doing things. So that took a lot, like a learning curve in and of itself. So it's not for the weak of heart. It, it definitely right. taught me patience, oh, yeah. if nothing else. Now, in terms of just what you said about relearning something, did you do that during the day? Were you given time to study or you have to do yes. that on your own? Yes and no. We have to do that on our own. 
as well, but um, short course classes were available after work hours. So for oh. example, you would work 5.30 to 11.30 or 12. You would go to chow, go to lunch, and then return back to the facility for another two hours as part of like an intense apprenticeship class to teach you again the curriculum. Um, we would allow to take braille materials into our living areas and we would sit on our on the floor and read our braille books, proofread for our transcript transcriptions. And it was a lot of you have to want it because it's not yeah. easy. And it's, you know, it, you you're working in the process of learning. And then, you know, we had that network and that community where if I had a question, I could get up and ask you and say, what are your thoughts on this? Because a rule can be read by five different people and interpreted in five different ways. So we had to make sure that we were all on the same page and doing uniform work because it was important not to us. It's, it's, it's beyond us. That was what I loved about Braille. It was beyond me and beyond where I was. It went, it was beyond the bars and that's why I enjoyed it. It wasn't just me and a job, not taking anything away from those ladies that were assigned to the kitchen or the laundry because sure. that job's important as well. But I've just felt like my job went beyond that. And it was just getting students and visually impaired, re you know, readers, the opportunity to learn. And I mean, I love to learn and I love to read. So it was just a win-win for me. Did you ever meet any of the recipients um, that received your books? No, but occasionally we would, um, the, the facilitators and the instructors, they would sometimes be allowed, you know, we were, um, we knew we were doing it. And um, occasionally we would see like a little thank you card come in from a teacher, or we would hear third hand, hey, you know, everyone who worked on the book, you know, great job, so and so, did, you know, sent kudos for us. And that always motivated us. And we knew, we knew that um, we were also doing it for ourselves in preparation for possibly employment upon release. So right. well, that, that to me is a wonderful motivation. Do you know how many women left and stayed with um, this wonderful skill that they learned and used it as income once they got out? Um, if I remember correctly, and I used to know this number very well. So I left in 2019 and, mm -hmm. at, and as of 2019, um, there was up to 27 to 33 that were out successfully you do because it it's diff it's difficult you have to when you when you're first released you have to like buy have someone purchase a computer and the software itself oh. and then you know projects are available from the agencies that we are networked and connected with inside however payment is not rendered until the book is produced. So you're looking at maybe a month to two months timeframe. And a lot of the ladies that I know from personal experience is if you don't have that family support backing you, when you walk out, you have a lot of other things that you need to be worrying about than sitting at home for two months, working on something with no income coming in. You know, a lot of our mothers and wives and family members and, you know, they have, they have to hit the ground running. So it does take a good support system that says, Hey, you know what, Alexa, you can do this. Let me help you out. You know, my parents bought me the computer my brother bought mm -hmm. me the software. So it was just like an all around so that I could continue on this way and on this journey. So 
how expensive was the computer and the software? I have no concept. Um, like the software you can actually rent a monthly oh. because buying it outright, it's kind of, you know, in perhaps a thousand, twelve hundred dollars in a computer itself. You're going to need one that has a really good video card so you can do your tactiles. You're going to need to buy the drawn software, the Braille software, and the computer itself. I think my parents spent up to $2,000 in outfitting me for all this. And what about the paper? Well, that's the good thing is that we send our files digitally across. So the agency is responsible for embossing the paper. Oh. Now, that, you know, that isn't a fee in, in and of itself. There are agencies that actually will transcribe and emboss the pages themselves. So then you have another added expense for the paper. But I believe a box of paper, uh, 5,000 sheets was $50. Okay. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there other, we've spoken so much about this terrific program. Um, what about other programs offered to the women, uh, what other kinds of jobs are there? And and when, since Texas policy is no pay, where does the money come from if you need to buy things from the commissary? Are, are there other sources? So that's kind of a two-part question. No, there are no other sources. Texas does not pay its uh, inmates or offenders for any work. Um, you, If you receive any money from family or friends that goes to buy your necessity items mm -hmm. um, as in soap and shampoo or right. commissary food items. Right. So those that have it, have it. And those that don't, don't. And it, the line mm -hmm. is very, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation and we're not allowed to share. We're not allowed to give anything, anybody, anything. So there's a lot of rules around that and I can speak on that for another 20 minutes, but <laughs> it's just very difficult, you know, to see it and to, so like, again, my family was very supportive of me now. So I was able to go purchase those things from commissary, but. There is another program. I just wanted to mention in passing, mm -hmm. um, it's called uh, Patriot paws. Yes. They uh, train service dogs. Right. And I wanted to let my listeners know uh, that I'll be featuring four podcasts uh, around May in which the focus will be on training dogs by offenders, dogs who go to people with disabilities and to our veterans. And those programs are Puppies Behind Bars and Prison Pet Partnership. So if you're interested in dogs and, uh, you know, all of that, um, please tune in. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I know you said you would come back next time to tell us more about your life on the outside. Um, but is there anything else that, you know, we didn't cover that you'd like to add? We only have a couple of minutes left. I just want to add that the opportunity that I was able to achieve and learn this skill set inside was a truly a blessing. Um, like I said, a hundred people assigned to the facility, but there were hundreds that wanted to get in that program, but couldn't because of the, the, the limited number. So it was one of the few educational programmings for females in Texas that really, you know, gives you a viable skill set. And I am truly grateful for the opportunity. I just, 
you know, wanted to put that out there. Oh, I think that's great. I'm glad you added that. So you're, you'll be back to tell us more about uh, your transition to life on the outside. And we thank you for your time today and for all that you taught us about being a Braillist. That's fascinating. <laughs> so please join us next week for Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And thank you once again, Alexa. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.